the Anza Nuka podcast, where we explore the fabric of Black identities through culture, food, art, life experiences, and more. Sharing the stories of international creatives. I'm Kamara. And hi everyone, I'm Heather, and we are your co-hosts. Thank you to those of you who are coming back to the table, and welcome to all of our new listeners. I'm excited about what we have planned for today. We have a very talented person joining us for the main course. Um, but before we bring them to the table, let's see what else is on the menu. So we are going to get into today's appetizer and our theme for today is giving back. And personally, I think it's really important to give back you know, some, for me, some time during my career, even as a dancer, somehow I was always teaching, which means mm-hmm. I was always giving back to people and teaching them about things. And then when I set up the youth dance company, my youth dance company, that was, that was key. I was really focused on uh, the younger generation and supporting young black dancers to give them opportunities and ensure that they were supported and felt empowered. So it has always been something that is very important to me and a lot of things that I do only because you know so many people supported me along the way I've had so many opportunities I've had so many opportunities so I really recognize the value of opportunities and and I try to just play my part in in supporting others to find opportunities that they may not otherwise know of or you know feel empowered to find their own opportunities how about yourself Heather? Well just in general philanthropy and giving back has just been ingrained in my nature Mm -hmm. and in my upbringing. I'm a preacher's kid fifth generation so you know community service connecting with other people it's just what my family does inherently Um, so I don't I don't even think about it it's just I'm, and I'm so accustomed to it and it feels good. So I'm always looking for ways to do that. I think specifically with dance and the arts, I always definitely try to connect with the youth. I, even in the way that I teach, like you said, we are, we're teachers. So we naturally do that in the classroom. And I even go the extra mile. Like when I see a particular student that has the heart and the passion and like the, that fire, you know, that, that, that light in their eyes when they're really, really giving their all, mm-hmm. even if they might not technically sound, I naturally gravitate towards those dancers. So I can give back to them and really pour more into them than I'm already doing. So in the classroom. And I think just in a day to day growing up, like that was part of my education we always had like community service that was required that was always fun um as well for me and same thing even in in college or university like part of some of the the organizations at Florida State that I wanted to be part of included giving back and I would do um random things like um there was this program where you would go and just mentor um young kids with their school work like these are like elementary school you know, primary school grade kids, and you would just go spend a couple hours with them. And it's just, you don't really understand the impact that you have on kids like that. And it's, you know, I don't look for that to come back to me. But when I do have those moments where like, old students of mine have grown up, and they come back and they say, thank you. um, It's really empowering. And it, it warms my heart for sure. What about you? 
Yeah, absolutely. It is really nice when people come back and say thank you, but obviously, you know, that's that's not why we do it. We do it instinctively, but when when yeah. you do get that recognition, it does it does it kind of just remind you or when you see just when you see somebody achieve something, you know, somebody yeah. supported and when you see them achieve their goals or achieve things that they were striving for, it just gives you that reminder that oh yes this is this is why I do what I do exactly I mean Kamar we didn't even have this debrief like properly I don't feel like we really have like set with this but when you did AYD 100 last fall that was incredible like to sit there and just witness you know I was at the the registration desk Mm -hmm. and you know you're buzzing around but like just sitting there overhearing the conversations between the young dancers to see the excitement when they would come up to register in the morning or even just mm-hmm. their parents. Yeah. You know, even on that second day, they just look so grateful for that opportunity. It like was a once in a lifetime. That's the kind of like opportunity that really changes yeah. the course of a child's life or a young person's life. And it was just like, I got to give you flowers now because, you know, this is something that's been on my mind as well. It's just like giving people their flowers when you see them doing, going that extra mile. And, th- mm-hmm. you know, I think people forget about that part of encouraging people to continue. Absolutely. You know, again, like you said, it's not a requirement. It's not why we do it. But it definitely just to give people that encouragement who are leaders, who mm-hmm. are doing, taking those initiatives to give back. You need your flowers, so I'm <laughs> gonna give so it much. to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so funny because I was talking to somebody about it the other day, like somebody not connected to dance, and uh-huh. you know, I was telling them, you know, we did this workshop. There were we we took 125 young black dancers to the theater, and then we had scholarships and workshops, and and like 42 of them got work uh, scholarships to go to these top schools, and they were like, what? like come exactly. again and, and I was like oh you know they gave scholarships and he said so wait 42 he said let's do like a third of the people that were involved I was exactly. like yeah got a scholarship and he was like that is those festival those that's amazing and those that's statistics impact. are like yeah. ridiculous and I was like oh are they okay like <laughs> but yeah no it was an amazing it was an amazing experience and I know you as well that's what brings us enjoyment really isn't it yeah it does like that entire Mm -hmm. two and not even just that workshop weekend but that entire two weeks two to three weeks of like working taking them to the shows yeah the specifically the the live stream workshop with Ailey at Sadler's Wells just something like that you mm-hmm. and you I don't even think you know that you gave me an opportunity <laughs> you know what right. I mean that was something that I could have only have dreamed of mm-hmm. um and as close as I am to people who are part of that organization I would even with some of the access that I have I've never had access to be part of something like that so that in a way was a way of giving back to even me uh, wow and which is not even as important as the children, like the hundreds of kids that were part of going to those workshops, talking to the artists in the company, seeing the shows. It was just incredible. And I mean, we definitely need more of that across the board. We need more opportunities like that across the board. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And yeah, it's lovely to hear you say that because again, sometimes we just keep going. We just keep going and 
and we forget about mm-hmm. what we've actually done yeah so so thank you for that reminder and yeah thank you to you as well for all your support and everything that you do to give back to the young always that we anytime work you with. call me I'm gonna say yes <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say yes and I'll just say because it's just been the most rewarding experience mm-hmm. being a a teacher for like a resident instructor for artistry youth. I've been with you yeah. for the longest since I've been here in London. So yeah, I would definitely say yes to any opportunity that you ask me to join you on. If it involves giving back or it doesn't matter what it involves, because usually it is something that's really rewarding. We can immediately see the impact in what we do. And it's just something that that sticks with the dancers that we work with or with the young people that we work with. So always ask me, call me, (laughs) I'll be there. Not a problem. Not a problem. So yeah, so that's it. So I, I think definitely agreeing with his sentiment of giving back and it is always encouraging when when we see, when we're able to do it, when we see others able to do it, because other people still continue to help us well they still mm-hmm. continue to help me um it's yeah. not like I it's not like I know everything so I'm grateful when people do that and and what I found is that I, I kind of find that the more successful people are the more willing they are to help mm-hmm. which is which is positive to see yeah 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 so, so what do you do I know um I know when I'm teaching or I'm giving back or trying to give more to students, they're not always receptive Mm -hmm. or it doesn't really, it doesn't really register. They don't quite understand what opportunities they've been given. Mm -hmm. What, what keeps you going when that happens and kind of what, where are you? what do you tell yourself? How do you, how do you coach yourself through that? Mm, yeah, because it can be, it can be frustrating when you mm-hmm. see uh, people, especially when they have potential or, and they're not perhaps fulfilling their potential. You have yeah. to let people go in their own time because yeah. maybe it's not the time for them to, to, to move in that direction. Um, so, so long as you make people aware that you're there when if they need the support but to keep mm. going I think you have to remember those 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 moments because mm-hmm. you know we we work with a lot of young people but it will be that one that one moment or that one person who said thank you or that one person who is now in the school that they wanted to be in or that one person who just said something that was that resonated with you so yeah you have to hold on Mm -hmm. to those individual moments um because even if you can impact one person and we've impacted more than one person yeah definitely but even if you even if what you do impacts one person that is enough Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I think you have to remember that we're not here to like change everybody that's impossible Mm. if we can have an impact on one person then I think that that is enough so it's a challenge for me even to remember I get disheartened sometimes Mm -hmm. especially when people just really don't uh, keep moving forward in the direction I think they uh, should be but you know I'm not them 
they they have yeah, to make their decisions true. and most times we're not mm-hmm. we're not actually dealing with children we're dealing with young adults and, and adults, and yeah. adults. Yeah. so they they have to make their own decisions and 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 I have to be okay with the decision they make because it's their life yeah so yeah so back to your question uh so long as I remember my purpose and that I'm still making a contribution that that is all I have control over so that is all Mm. that I can do so that's that's what I do what do you do because I know that there are there are those moments that are feel frustrating or feel like um maybe I don't want to say you're wasting your time but sometimes it feels Mm. it feels like you're like why am I doing this yeah 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 I think I I've over time I've learned to figure out when I'm wasting my time and when it's worth the effort Mm -hmm. so for me I I do like the challenge when I'm not quite getting through to a student because that just makes me a little bit more creative in my approach and it makes me think a little bit more outside the box and it usually just uncovers a new way of teaching and connecting Mm -hmm. with the students but there are those times where like I hit the wall and I can see that like I can't do any more for this person than what they're not willing to Mm -hmm. do for themselves Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so funny because I had one of my university teachers say that to me in such a way right. where it was my sophomore year of college and and this is second year out of four years. And I like my my teachers saw the potential in me for sure. Mm-hmm. They just didn't quite see the discipline that they thought I needed to to implement into just coming to class on time and like coming to <laughs> class in general because <laughs> those 8 a.m. classes, 9 a.m. classes, they were hard. And I was doing the most as always. You know, I had a job. I was dancing in a company at, a, at FAMU. I was I was just doing the most. I had a social life, all this stuff. So that those early morning classes were tough. Right. And so my teacher, one of my teachers just felt like I wasn't quite giving the discipline that was required. Right. For to, to make that difference in my career. Mm-hmm. And she was like, when I see you do that, that's when I, or when I, and she didn't say it to me, but she said, when I see, t- when I see students change the way that they approach the class and they ad- approach their training here, that's when we can go to the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't say directly, that's when I'll give more. But when I saw, when I heard that, and then I made the change in how I was approaching, I definitely saw more and she ended up hiring me right. for a job later on after, after I graduated. So that I take that with me when I decide to go that extra mile. I always will give it just when I see that light or that passion or that potential and I will continue to give it. But then there will be a threshold where it's like, okay, yeah. this is not worth my energy or my time because they're just not ready to receive it. Absolutely. And and it's nothing to fault that person or no. that, that student. It's just it's just not that time for them to receive that that kind of push and that training in you know, sometimes they do come back to you. Nine times out of 10, they do. And we have a student that we love that continues to come back. We continue to pour into her and she goes and she does her thing. And yes, when she's ready, when she's, when that's that time for her, she comes back and she, she puts that, that work in. Yeah. And, and that particular student, I feel like it's always worth it for me to pour into her because Mm -hmm. she has that natural raw gift Mm -hmm. that she just has to be ready to take to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's, 
there's other students. It's just like you have to let them deal with wherever they are in life. Mm-hmm. You've given them as much as you can. And then when they come back, if they do come back, you just continue pushing them forward. Yeah, absolutely. And like what you said um, about your your teacher, what they said to you, and, you know, I, I would have had the same things when I was training. And, mm-hmm. you know, we we have to be in control of ourselves. So it's up to the, yeah. the students or whoever it is that we're working with to come at their own time when they're ready. And sometimes, you know, I forget, you know, for me, I'm like, it's dance. You should be thinking about dance 24 seven, but it's not, yeah. it's not their life. They have other things no. going on. And, um, yeah. and sometimes they're quite serious things they have going on in their life. Yeah. You know? And dance is literally like, maybe 2% of their life or of what like they that. do. Yeah. I think we forget that because mm-hmm. I, I definitely grew up with dance being a thousand percent right. my focus all the time. Right. And everyone is not like that. And no. Even when I was, even when I was coming up as a young dancer with my competition company and all that stuff, you know, I would have, there, there've been a number of times actually then. And even when I was in college um, and it was my senior year where I've had teachers come to me and just say, you have to remember everyone is not like you. Everyone doesn't have this undying passion exactly. and perfection. <laughs> exactly. And they don't work the same way that you do. Yeah. Cause I would get frustrated with my company members, even at a young age, I'm talking like 13 mm-hmm. and I'm pissed at the 18 year olds that they're not in there giving it their all. And it's just like, cause they're just doing this. Cause it's fun. Exactly. And not everybody <laughs> wants not- to be a professional dancer either. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, so it's good to remember just where people are at and to mm. give them what they need, um, as you said, to a point, and then they will come when they're ready. And if they yeah. you know, want that at that particular time, it, it's nothing personal. I just give what I can when I can, and when they want yeah. when when they want that, they'll come. And if if it's not for them at that time, then I wish them obviously all the best. All the best. And that's it. It just as long yeah, as you remain positive and, and remain there. If they ever want to come back, then then you're there for them. So so mm. yeah, so I think that's the most important thing to remember. But yeah, giving back definitely something that is woven into every part of my professional working being, I guess. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we've had a great start conversation. Mm -hmm. Great start conversation. A great start to our conversation Mm -hmm. (laughs) for today. Uh, Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll welcome our guests to the table. We'll be right back. All right. And we're back. It's time to introduce our dinner guest. Um, We have Jerobin Bozeman here today. And before he comes to our virtual table, because he's not with us in person, I'll share a little bit about him. Jerobin Bozeman of Brooklyn, New York, began his dance training under Ruth Sister at the Ronald Edmonds Learning Center. He later joined Creative Outlet under Jamil Gaines and was granted full scholarships at the Joffrey's Ballet School and Dance Theater of Harlem. Uh, he is a gold medal recipient from the NAACP EXO Competition in Dance. He performed in Elton John and Tim Rice's Broadway musical Aida and the international tour in China and was part of Philodenko, Donald Byrd Spectrum Dance Theater in A-League 2. During the fall of 2016, Jeroboam performed as a guest artist with the Royal Ballet and in 2019, Dance in the Magazine nominated him as one of the 25 to watch. 
He is currently featured in Bud Light's NFL 100 commercial. Jerome has been featured in Vanity Fair, Double Magazine, and the New York Times. He recently received a bachelor's degree in psychology, concentrating in industrial organization from Argosy University. He joined the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater in 2013 and is currently a principal company member. And he also happens to be one of my best friends. So, <laughs> Jerobon, come on in. Let's have a vittle. Let's get this conversation started. Welcome to the table. Hey, what's How's up, it going? beautiful Heather and Kamara? <laughs> How are you guys? Good. Good. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us at our virtual table. This is very exciting. I'm excited. This is incredible. I love that you guys created this platform. This is just amazing. I'm honored to be here, really. Thank you uh, so thank much. You. We're honored to have you. Absolutely. So let's get started to learn a bit more about you. And first of all, could you tell us a bit more about your journey? So your life and your career, what's brought you to this point? So hello, everybody, listeners. My name is Gerald Bombozman. And um, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, Bed-Stuy. And my childhood, I grew up on a busy block with tons of kids. I'm one of seven children. I have a twin brother. And I was the one that was always quiet. (laughs) I always loved dance. I grew up dancing. I remember, you know, watching MTV videos and BET videos back when they used to run them. (laughs) <laughs> I would imitate Michael Jackson and Britney Spears and, and sing. I was learning all the dance videos and trying to imitate it <laughs> and giving it back. And so um, in my elementary school, we didn't really have dance. And so uh, we had a cheerleading team. And I remember joining the cheerleading team because the cheerleaders danced. And I was the only boy that joined the cheerleading team ever in the school's history. And um, I was just overjoyed and excited just to be in a school that allowed me to dance to any capacity. And um, I remember being teased uh, just because I was a boy dancing. I mean, that's what it was growing up in Brooklyn, you know, during the 90s, you know, a boy dancing, it was taboo. But I just remember um, being in school and I remember a lecture demonstration with Dance Theater Parlor. They came to my school and I remember sitting in the audience and just being blown away by these beautiful black artists, ballerinas and, and people who study ballet. and. I mean, they just did a simple ballet bar, but to me, I was just in awe. You know, I couldn't even believe what I was witnessing. It was the first time that I saw somebody that looked like me that was doing what it is that I wanted to do. And so I was just really overwhelmed. I was like, oh my God, I can do this. Like, there's something that I can finally put a thing to it. Like, dance, okay, Mm -hmm. there's people doing it. And so um, I remember being interested and invested in the program and I didn't get an opportunity to go, but my assistant principal, his name is uh, Mr. Bruce Copeland. He saw how eager I was about dance and he saw how passionate I was. 
And so he took me to my very first Alvin Ailey performance. And I remember sitting in the audience and I don't remember much of the show, but I remember Revelation. And I remember it because I remember the yellow fans. I remember the yellow dresses. I remember it being joyous. I remember being like overwhelmed with just love and just like excitement. I was like on cloud nine. And that kind of just sparked my interest in dance. And so I went to junior high school and I went to Ronald Evans Learning Center and that's where I met Ruth Sister. And she taught me the foundation of dance. You know, I didn't know anything. I went in there, I auditioned. I was doing like getting jiggy with a na 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 na. Y'all can't really see me dancing. <laughs> but if you know that age, for that age group, yeah. you know the Will Smith dance. But yeah. <laughs> so I was doing stuff like that at the audition. And she just saw the energy <laughs> that I had and was like, you belong here. <laughs> and so. I just was so grateful because like she molded me and like really like took her time to cultivate me. And I was in such a very interesting place in my life because I considered myself to be an introvert and I was also selectively mute. And so one of my form of communications was American Sign Language. And so I didn't speak and it wasn't until I was introduced to dance in junior high school when I began to find my voice. And so to me, like dance has been healing and really therapeutic. And so I just have so much respect for Mrs. Fair because she just took this child who is literally just quiet and, you know, <laughs> innocent and was like, we, we see something. And um, she introduced me to Creative Outlet Dance Theater of Brooklyn. And that is the school that I trained at. And I remember being in the school and having teachers that were all about cultivating the next generation. And also my teachers were, oh, they were fully invested in their own careers. Like I had teachers that were a part of the Ailey organization that would tour with Ailey, that were on Broadway that were doing, you know, different types of projects, were singing, acting. And I just was like, wow. And they would come back and they would feed us like, this is what you should be doing. And so in this school, I was just exposed to a wide range of dance and culture. And so it was a bit of a shock to me because I was like, wow, this young boy being exposed to, to one dance, other men dancing, people that look like me that are dancing, also learning about my history and dance. And so I just was like a kid in the candy store. I was eager, I was excited, I wanted to learn more. And so Creative Outlet gave me my first job and I was actually 16 years old and we were doing a cultural arts exchange program in London, England actually um, with WAC Arts and the organization still stands but this organization in particular focused on providing the arts to underprivileged communities. And so mm -hmm. I remember going there and just being blown away by the, the immediate connection I had because one, predominantly the kids that went to WAC were of color, were black. And so mm -hmm. one, here I am, a 16 year old boy 
from America, going to Europe for the first time, and then finally getting an opportunity to speak to someone that looks exactly like me, that has the same connection to art. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, like I can do this as a career, like dance, I could have it as a possible career. And so it was always in the back of my mind that dance was something that I really wanted to do. And I remember going into high school and auditioning and I wanted to go to like, you know, one of the prestigious dance schools here in New York, the fame school, LaGuardia and PPAS. And I remember not getting accepted to the schools because I know that also, you know, academically I wasn't as good as well as where I was technically. But I was grateful enough to go to Brooklyn High School of the Arts where I met a woman by the name of Melissa Vaughn, Dr. Melissa Vaughn. And she also happened to be a former member of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. And so she was just another like beacon of light that kind of just gave me the energy that I needed to fulfill my career as a dancer. She was like, yeah, you should be dancing. Yeah, you should go to the auditions. Yeah, you should do this. But one thing that she also expressed to me was the importance of education. And so for some time, you know, being in junior high school and, and going into high school, I kind of put my academics on the back burner because dance was what I really wanted to do. And she was the one that expressed to me, look, you can't go dancing or, you know, when you're dancing and your body gives out, what is it that you're going to have next? What are you going to have to rely on? And my mom used to say this to me. And so it kind of was always in the back of my head. But I was young and I was naive and I was just like, I'm going to dance forever. You can't tell me nothing. <laughs> and so, like, I just continued on dancing. And I remember leaving high school and telling my mom, my mother, like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be a professional dancer. And she was like, really? Okay, so what are you going to do? Like, where are you going to live? And so immediately I kind of put my head onto the pavement and was like, let's go tunnel vision and focus on this career. And so I moved to Philadelphia and I was 18 years old, moved to Philadelphia and I joined the Philadelphia Dance Company, Philadenco. And the artistic director there is Joan Myers Brown. And that's mm -hmm. also where I met Heather Star Benson. <laughs> and that experience was just an amazing experience. It was my first time being in a professional company outside of, you know, my dance community and my home. I had moved. I was, I didn't know anyone. And I was like, I'm going to try to fulfill this thing in dance. And so I learned a lot at Philadelphia because I felt as though I was ready and eager to dance, but I didn't have all of the tools I needed to be successful and to be able to thrive in this industry. And so I felt that Philadelphia gave me that. I remember, you know, being in the studios and, you know, constantly being injured and constantly like complaining and constantly like falling out. And I remember, you know, Aunt Joan, that's what we call her, Aunt Joan, Miss Brown, she sat me down in her office and, you know, she told me, she expressed to me, she said, you know, dance is not going to be easy. And she said, you know, you are a tall man and they're going to expect you to lift and partner. And if you're not able to do that, then, you know, the, the longevity or the length of your career 
is going to be limited. She said, you have to get yourself together. She said, you got to go work out. If you have to cross train, you do it. You go lift weights, you go take class. And so to me, it was the understanding of you need to start taking care of yourself if you want to thrive, if you want to make it in this industry. And so I immediately just jumped into, you know, cross training. I started taking ballet classes, modern classes, and not saying that this is something that I wasn't doing before, but now it was with the intention of you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. This is for maintenance. I was understanding that dance required a certain level of discipline and it required a certain mm-hmm. level of maintenance, you know, in order to sustain, especially with the work that we were doing. You know, it was intense, high level performing. And, you know, we were dancing with maybe about 12, 15 dancers and we danced everything, you know, four ballets every night, everybody dances everything. There's no cash B, you do everything. No. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of like built my strength there, my stamina. And, you know, I felt like I was cultivated as an artist there. I had people that had spent time to, you know, really hone in on my gifts. You know, someone like Deborah Chase and Deborah Manning. And these are also former members of the Alvinelli American Dance Theater. And I'm going to pause for a second, but I just want to say that, like, throughout my life, it's seems as though I've always had a connection to the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater Organization, to the company. And, Mm. you know, I just felt like there was this, and I'm looking back, you know, there's a realization now, like, or a revelation, (laughs) no pun. (laughs) (laughs) But like that, it was just threaded through my entire life. Like even in junior high school, I remember going into the dance studio and there will always be two posters on the front door and the back door. There were always Alvin Ailey posters. And I just remember seeing that, you know, every time yeah. I walked into the theater, that was something that, I mean, into the studio, that was something that was projected onto me. I was like, oh my God, okay, Alvin Ailey. And so, you know, me going into my career, I always wanted to dance for Alvin Ailey, but honestly, I was intimidated. I didn't feel as though I was enough. I didn't feel as though I could be in such an organization. I also didn't feel as though that I could make it that far in my dance career, you know, I was like, to me, I had the early organization at, at a high pedestal, you know, and I didn't mm-hmm. think it was really obtainable. It was just kind of like, eh, I should try, but I didn't really like put forth effort. And so throughout my career as a dancer, I had auditioned for the early organization and I didn't get it. And so I just continued on through my path and my journey and um, I had moved to Seattle, Washington, and I met Donald Byrd, and I danced at Spectrum Dance Theater. And Donald Byrd is just a genius, this incredible, you know, black man who is just, just hyper intellectual, hyper intelligent, just aware, and so forward thinking. And I stayed with this company for about a, a year, about a season, and. That was where I felt as though I really had found my sense of like technique. And I really felt like I started to hone in on who I was as an artist and what it is that I wanted to say with my artistry. You know, I felt like at Danko, I was just expressing myself. I was just like giving, giving, giving. And I felt like when I joined Danko, excuse me, when I joined um, Spectrum Dance Theater, it was 
like a redirection of energy and how I was going about my dance career. And it just felt as though I was starting to kind of find my voice in dance and find what that meant to me. And so I danced with Spectrum and it was an incredible experience. And I remember auditioning for Ailey and this was the fourth time <laughs> I auditioned and um, I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it, but I was offered a contract with Ailey too. And so to me in my head at that time, I was like, this is my foot in. This is my foot in the organization. And mm -hmm. so I took the contract and a lot of people kind of like gave me flack for it because they were like, you know, you've been dancing professionally, you know, you've been in this company and this company, and now you're getting ready to dance in a second company. You know, it doesn't make sense. And people were talking about, you know, you're going to get a pay cut. You know, it just doesn't seem smart. And in my head, I saw the bigger picture. I was like, this is the first time I can be introduced to the Ailey organization. This is my foot into the door. You know, I've auditioned for summer intensives in, in different types of programs. I didn't get in. I didn't get in in PPAS. I auditioned for the summer program, didn't get in. And so here this opportunity was, was for me to join Ailey too. And people could get to know who Jeroboam was. And so when I joined Ailey too, I'm not going to lie. I already had the mindset that I was joining the first company. That's where mm -hmm. I was. That's where my focus was. Like, I already knew that's what I was going to do. I remember having a conversation with my friend, in Jan um, Janae. She's a close friend of mine. And I remember telling her my plan, like, look, I'm leaving Seattle. I'm going to dance with Ailey 2 for one year. And then I'm going to join the first company because I can't do this. I'm not doing this. And I remember saying that to her. And so I remember being in Ailey too, and I remember, you know, being excited and eager, but in the back of my mind, I was like, it's go time. It's time to go. And so I remember, you know, when we were in rehearsals, you know, the dancers, we had lockers and, you know, we would put our things in there. And I remember the dancers used to ask me, well, you know, why don't you put anything in your locker? Why haven't you put your name on the locker? And I told them that I didn't intend on staying here that long. So I'm not putting my stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, did that mindset impact you? Like, do you think it would have been different if you had come in with a different mindset? Totally, totally. Because I think for me, it was, Ailey was the goal. Ailey was the, the place I wanted to be. And so... To me, it was like a step closer to that. It was like I was in the race and now like, you know, I jumped over the hurdle and I'm in the last gauntlet, you know, before you get the finish line. And so to me, the way I took being in Ailey 2 was my audition for the first company. I remember I'm someone that's like really big on journals. You know, since I was a child, I always wrote and write, you know, wrote things down. And it was a, an outlet for me to express myself. I mean, I still have some of my journals, you know, since I was a teenager. And I remember, you know, in one of my journals while I was on tour, 
I remember in the back of the book, I always wrote down, you know, my goals and the things that I wanted and my intentions. And I remember, you know, vividly putting down joining the Ivan Ailey American Dance Theater. And I remember saying, you need to act as though you are already in the first company. You need to carry yourself as though you are in the first company. When you get to rehearsals, you can't play around. You can't be lackadaisical because that's not the culture it's going to be when you join the first company. And so that mindset kind of kept me on my toes. It kept me on guard. And so when I auditioned the following year, I remember that I wasn't even going to go to the audition because Ailey 2 had just finished their season. It was a full week and it was tons of performances and I was exhausted. And we ended on Sunday. The audition for Ailey was like on a Monday. And then Ailey 2 flew out on their international tour the following day. And so I remember being wiped out from the audition, um, from the, uh, the season. I was exhausted. I was like, you know what? I am not going to that damn audition. The hell with it. I'm going rest and hope they have a great time. I'm going to go to this flight, get on this flight, do this international tour, and I'll think about it later. And so I remember having a conversation with the artistic director, and he was like, get your butt up, and you, be, you better be at this audition. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, I don't even have anything to, like, wear. And so I literally threw on, like, you know, this bike guitar. I had some tights that had that I really liked that had a huge hole in it and so I had called up a friend who currently now is like you know one of the designers for Nike his name is Joshua and I was like I need you to sew up these tights he was like okay he sewed them up and literally I went to the audition and before I even went to the audition I took class and I told myself I was like you know what you are tired as hell we are not about to do anything crazy. You're going to go in here and you're just going to enjoy yourself. You're just going to have a good time, you know, and thank God we have this thing, you know, nothing to prove and everything to share. Mm -hmm. And so I literally, that was like my mantra before I went in. I was like, you have nothing to prove and everything to share. Or also safety first. <laughs> that part, safety first, <laughs> safety always. <laughs> But I remember going to the audition and I remember like just being like, all right, let's just have a good time. And it it was like, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was like, you know, maybe over 100 men at this audition. And so we were getting down to the cuts and I was looking and I was like, oh, wow, okay, you're still here. Okay, cool. And it wasn't until we got down to the end and it was maybe about 10 men in the room, 10 or 15 men in the room. And I remember, you know, Robert Battle coming in and saying, hey, look, you know, everyone did an incredible job. I really wish I could hire everyone, but I can only hire one person. And he was like, I'm giving that contract to Jawar Bombozman. And I literally just like burst out into laughter. Like, <laughs> I couldn't even believe it. And I, that was my first response. Like, <laughs> like me? Are you serious? Like, did you look in the room? You sure? Me? And so I just was like in a complete like state of shock, like, wow, okay. And so 
that kind of was like my introduction into the Ailey organization. And literally, I've just been in the organization for eight years now. And it still feels like I just got here. It still feels like I, I it's brand new. You know, I, I'm, we work so much and we give so endlessly. I mean, I'm literally like living my dream. It sounds like such an incredible journey. Um, I was literally just getting emotional at hearing. I mean, obviously I know what the response was because you're in the company, but when I heard it, I was still like, oh, my, oh yes, yes, they, they picked you. So right. yeah, it's, it's really it's really a fantastic story. And you just said so many things along the way, like about your mindset, about the people that were kind of, I don't even know how to say it, who were kind of championing, championing you, championing, I can't even say it. Championing. Championing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, your supporters along the way and people like Joan Myers-Brown and I'm sure some of the things that she said to you kind of been the first time you'd heard that. What was the kind of difference when she said it, you know, kind of to sort yourself out and to take things seriously? I think the realization for me was when I got injured. I got injured and I threw my back out and I couldn't perform because my back was in like excruciating pain. And so Joe Myers Brown, they brought in someone else. And literally the next, like they hired another dancer for temporary. And that was the wake up call for me that you are replaceable. In my mind, I was like, oh, sweat, like, you have to be on top of it because, you know, if you get injured, you can be replaced. Yeah. And so in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, you got to stay ready. You have to be ready. We can't, we can't be slipping up. You don't got time because injured takes you out. That, takes, that means no, no income. That's no dancing. You, you're trying to heal. It also has like a psychological impact on you. Right. And so I was like, I'm, I don't want to experience that again. I don't want to be there. And so I am the type of dancer that I am OCD about, you know, my training. I'm taking classes. I'm doing Pilates. I'm doing yoga. I'm weightlifting. I'm running. I'm jumping rope. I'm boxing. I'm doing Taekwondo. I mean, it's just like it also feeds the endorphins. It, it, it makes you happier. And so, like, that productivity in my life has been, like, why I do what I do, for the joy of it, for the kick of the life, to say, whew, I got some joy out of it. That's so important. Um, And now that you've been in Ailey for eight years, I know that you've traveled to a lot of places. You also did, like, Aida in China, which sounds incredible. Is there a country or, or what country has had a significant memory for you? For me, one of the most memorable and special places that I've been fortunate enough to travel to was to South Africa. The company went to South Africa and we spent two weeks in Joburg and one week in Cape Town. And the reason why this trip was so monumental in my life, because I have been always trying to get to Africa. I've always wanted to get there. But also, um, I was in a place at the time emotionally where I was really hurt 
And I was really sad because they're because of the current climate we're in, right? During this time period, it was just, you know, an endless amount of, you know, police killings and, and, and murder. And I was just like, where is the defense of Black lives? And like, I just became very angry. And so when I had went to South Africa, when I literally landed, I felt at home. And, and, and I don't say that like in a cliche way, but literally my spirit felt settled. And I've been fortunate enough to, you know, travel to a few places, you know, but immediately when I got there, I was like, my shoulders relaxed. My jaw was less tense. I felt the, t- the tongue, you know, on the top of my mouth relaxed, like my eyebrows relaxed, my forehead, mm-hmm. you know, and I just immediately, like it was a deep sigh of relief. It was like, ooh. And so the experience there was incredible. And because we were with the early organization, it was a certain, you know, level of treatment that we, we got a chance to experience. You know, we were taking tours of, you know, the museums and the, the and we got a chance to talk to John Connie, you know, you know, someone who was very prominent during, you know, the apartheid and someone who's like, you know, an activist. And this man has given us a tour of the museum and he's expressing to us what's happening in the current climate we're living in. And so I just, it was so healing for me to be in South Africa. It was like, my spirit was rejuvenated. I was meeting the locals and, you know, I am just someone, you know, my nature is a very giving person, you know. I'm, I went to South Africa and I took a suitcase of all of the things that I didn't want. All of my clothes that were gently worn, I was taking first aid kits. I was taking small, little like things that you can get over the counter medicine and my purpose was you know while I was going to be in South Africa and and dancing I also wanted to give and so there would be situations where I would see homeless people I would see people hungry and oftentimes I wasn't able to offer anything financially but I would literally say hey look if you want some clothes I can give you some if you want some sneakers I have a pair at the hotel that I don't want. And so that was my exchange in South Africa. And the people that I met were just beautiful and incredible people. You know, I got nominated, not nominated, but, um, you know, I was accepted as, you know, an honorary Zulu member. And I was given a name by Intogoso. And, you know, that name is He Who Pleases the People. And so, my experience in South Africa, I was like blown away. And so that was like my recharge to like get back on the horse, get back on and say, okay, we got to go. There's movement, there's progress, there's things that need to get done. And so South Africa was one of the most memorable places for me. Wow, that sounds just amazing. Wow. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And you, you mentioned that you felt like you were at home. So just considering all the places that you've traveled, places where you've spent an extensive amount of time beyond 
you know, New York and I'm just thinking about when you're on tour, where is home for you? Do you, does that change as you travel? So I, you know, I really believe that like home is where the heart is. And I, I do believe that, you know, because I travel so much, you know, eight months out of the year, I'm gone. You know, I'm traveling domestically, internationally. It's just nonstop. And so it's often very difficult to feel grounded, you know, because you're always on the go. You're basically living out of a suitcase, you know. And so I am someone that in order for me to feel grounded and to feel stable, I bring certain things with me. So I am really big on, you know, meditating. So I walk with, you know, small Buddhas and small Ganeshas. I walk with healing crystals. I meditate. I do my practice, you know, I, some, I, I get in, I do yoga. And so I do things that try to make me feel solid and make me feel grounded and make me, that brings me joy. That's my idea of home. And so I bring it back to South Africa because I felt as though I was able to really flourish there. I felt as though I really was like at my peak. And I've gone to other countries where I'm immediately stigmatized based on the color of my skin. And this is before I even speak before I say I where I work immediately. And so to me, being in South Africa, it was just an incredible experience because it was immediately like, whoo. And I've been to other, you know, countries where there are people of color, you know, and black people. I've been to Brazil. I've, you know, I've had an opportunity to go to St. Martin and I've been to Ireland and things of that nature, but it was just the the connection to the motherland. Mm. It was like, wow, it's called the motherland for a reason. You know, I remember going on the safari and I remember going and, and going to the, you know, the lions and elephant sanctuaries and, and just being blown away and just feeling like just connected, literally rooted, like, Mm. Ooh, you know, you know, us, me being, you know, an American, a Black American, a Black living in America, and being someone that is an ADOS, you know, going back to Africa was like, wow, okay. Can you explain what that means? I'm sorry, what did you say? So, uh, a- so ADOS, and I'm just getting it out just because I have to be very clear with, you know, how we talk about language but ADOS mm-hmm. is the um, African descendants of slaves okay never, I've never I've never so heard America, that Amer- excuse me it's called American descendant American descendants of slaves, of slaves. Right. Yeah, yeah so ADOS so you hear okay. that term it's American descendants of slaves and so because I am one of those people when I went back to Africa it was me finally reconnecting to home Mm. I felt like, oh, wow, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. So do you have, did you discover any new favorite foods or what was your, what was your relationship with food and culture there beyond the arts and seeing everything in your performances and all that stuff? Was there anything 
any other connections in the culture that you found as well? So one thing that really stuck out with me was that Ailey was also doing, Alvin Ailey was also doing an arts exchange program. And so we were teaching all over South Africa. And I was fortunate enough to go to Soweto. And I remember it was me and my friend Akua. We were going to teach this class and we were going to meet our contact person that was going to introduce us to the class and kind of bring, you know, us to the dancers and get us to build the connection. And she had children. She had two boys. And I remember standing next to Akua and we were just standing outside and she drove right past us and she parked and she got out the car and she let her children out the car. And literally from out of the car, Akua and I were standing amongst other people and other um, people that were here, presenters. And this young little black baby came running to me with his arms open and just gave me one of the biggest hugs. And I literally just burst into tears. Now I know we haven't we're supposed to be talking about food, but I'm speaking yeah, of like, wait. You know what I, I know, right? I, I did. I did hear you, but I just was talking about like, you know, this experience that I've had. Yes, this right. I wanted to segue into how we were we had an opportunity to teach a class and there were kids that were inside of this facility that we were teaching at. And so it was kind of like this building was hosting different types of programs for kids and they had this lunch area. And so I, a friend of myself and a friend of a few of my dance colleagues, Belen and Kanji, we went over just to go see what was going on. I wanted to know, I was invested. I was like, what are we eating? What are, you know, some of the things? And so mm-hmm. to be honest, when I went over, I was hurt. And I was disappointed because the things that were given to them were like sandwiches and PB&J mm-hmm. and like things that, and to me, I personally felt connected to that because I didn't grow up fortunate. I didn't grow up privileged. And so my family struggled and I know syrup sandwiches and PB&J and the mm-hmm. existence of bologna sandwiches and, and, and water cereal. And so mm-hmm. I know that I don't have it nowhere near these kids in South Africa, but I saw that that was the meal that they were having. And so I personally got me a meal, but also my friend and I, we paid for lunch for the entire school. Everyone that was in there had a meal to eat. And we mm-hmm. made it so that the kids didn't have to pay because we went there to go and teach dance, but there were kids there that were learning, you know, geography and, and mm-hmm. mathematics and science. And I was talking to, you know, the teachers and they were just saying, you know, most of the time these kids are coming, you know, they're walking long distances, you know, and they're coming here because they know that they're going to get a guaranteed meal. They know that if they come here, they're going to be safe. They know that if they come here, they're not going to be a victim of abuse or sexual mm-hmm. assault. And so, like, I'm sitting here looking at these beautiful brown babies in here trying to better themselves. And the last thing they should be thinking about 
was whether or not they should be eating. And so I bought me a meal, but also I treated the entire school, my friends and I, and treated, treated the entire school, you know, to a meal. And that was my connection to the food there. Now, I stayed in a hotel resort and the food was catered and we had people, you know, cooking lavish meals for us. And so I could talk about that, but that wasn't the experience that really resonated with me. No, that's really, really special. And you mentioned how your own personal experiences growing up really impacts, and you've been saying this, how it really impacts the the decisions that you make and how you move through life. And, you know, when you told us about your life story, yes, we're interested in your career and we know everything about, we don't know everything about your career, but that's not just who you are. So I kind of want to redirect this a bit because, you know, just thinking about all the different cultural experiences influences that you have in your life I know that your parents are Jamaican and how does that influence how you were brought up and and culturally the the influence on your life and what you resonate with when you're navigating through everyday life and through your career so if I could be quite honest I don't feel as connected to my Caribbean roots because I just wasn't Mm. exposed to that my parents you know they have a connection to the island, but their lineage goes so much further, you know, here. And so mm-hmm. I begin to investigate and I've done my own personal research and my own personal like ancestry.com <laughs> yeah. and, and just getting getting connected to who my family really was and who they were. And so I in my research, I found that actually my parents are Caribbean, you know, but also it is by way of being in Mississippi, being in the South. And then that culture of the, um, I want to be particular on how I say this, yeah. you know, because it's like the, the Gichian people, right? There's a specific mm-hmm. type of people and they are connected to the African culture. And so they have been considered, you know, island people. But personally, I've just, how I've navigated through life is, is that I, I am a Black man, Black queer man living in America. And so how I move has not been contingent on how people perceive me but what it is that I want out of the world and Mm. so that's how I've been navigating and so I want to see peace I want to see light I want to see love and so I exude that I grew up you know my parents grew up in Chicago during the 60s and 70s let's not get it twisted you know like during this time period we're talking about segregation we're talking about the Jim Crow law and so like that had impacted them and they moved to New York because they were trying to get a better living. They wanted a better living. It was more Mm -hmm. opportunities and they didn't want to expose their children to the high levels of violence that is in Chicago. And so they raised us in a very militant way. You know, my parents, you know, they were very active in the civil rights movement. You know, they, they taught me, they've shared books and knowledges, you know, 
knowledge, excuse me, I remember being 18 years old and my mother giving me this book called The Destruction of Black Civilization by William Chancellor. And I looked at the book and was like, at 23, I decided to give it a look. And I was like, damn, you were trying to give me this book at 18. I wish, (laughs) I wish I read it sooner, you know, but (laughs) it was just that experience that I had. And that was said to me that we have to be about the movement. And that's what I was raised on, the movement, the progression of Black people. Mm. Those things must have really shaped your life. Uh, Was there a turning point? You know, you've done your ancestry searching, you've done research. Was there a turning point or experience that changed the way that you identified yourself? I think it was when I started to dive into my parents' parents and their parents' parents, and I started to reach Mm -hmm. back into the lineage, I started to realize that, one, I am an American, you know, an ADOS, American descendant of slaves. And so to me, when you know where you come from, (laughs) right, that's one of the the, the hardest issues with Black Americans right here yeah. is is that we don't know where we've come from we can't connect it to you know our lineage because of the diaspora because you know of the slave trade right and so i personally started to go back and once i began to go back there is a certain level of reassurance you start to feel because you know where you come from and so um, the moment I began to investigate that, that was when I started to feel comfortable in my skin and who I was mm-hmm. and my identity. I mean, I've always felt secure and sure because I was an artist. You know, my artistry kind of made me build the level of confidence, but the certainty came from knowing where I was coming from and who I was and what type of power and in, 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 in the greatness that I've come from. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And even just being here and learning about our history just made me feel comfortable because I was aware. I was, I was reading books about, you know, Tuscaloosa, Oklahoma, the riots. I was learning about Black Wall Street. And these were things that were feeding me, that were helping me feel certain in the conversations that I do have about race and Black identity. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Kamara. (laughs) I was just going to say, you know, that kind of research is just so, so important to do, which not everybody really engages in or has the opportunity or the knowledge to understand to do that so it's a great opportunity that you you took there and you've always had dance in your life as well that you've mentioned what was the point or what made you decide to actually become professional and and do it as a career I honestly didn't think that I didn't take dance seriously until I did my first job in with a, a Broadway show with Aida, and we toured in China. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm making money. And like, 
not little money, but you're making a decent amount of money at a very young age with no responsibility. And so that was like, ooh, all I got to do is do what I love and I can get paid for this. Well, let me figure out how we can get good at this so we can really, you know, <laughs> make a coin. <laughs> you know, get that get the coin, get that bag. And so like <laughs> I don't know, once I like once I was exposed to being paid for my what it is that I love to do, I was like, how can we maximize that? Even now, I, in my professional career, you know, I'm still like how can you maximize the most, you know, and not just in lucrative, you know, on revenue, but like, how can you get the most out of life? And I remember growing up, um, I had this dance teacher by the name of Shirley Black Brown Coward, and she's also a former daily member. But she told me, I remember her saying, you always got to have drag in your bag. You always got to have drag in your bag. <laughs> and, you know, when I was younger, I literally thought that meant like, you got to have clothes, like you should have multiple dance clothes you should have many things like you should switch out your leo with this but that's how i took it and now you know being an adult i realize that yeah you should have multiple things to reach in and that bag is your talent your gifts the things that you possess the qualities that you have that is your bag so yeah i dance you know, and I've done ballet, modern jazz, African hip hop, you know, I can sing, I act, I model. It's just these are multiple things in my bag. I have a degree in psychology. It's just like, how can I fuel myself to be the best I can be? Because ultimately, the reason why I do what I do is because I want to be of service. I believe that is my calling, my job, my me being here, my purpose. I believe God told me to be here because I'm supposed to give. And I believe we as a people understand our purpose when we know that it's bigger than ourselves. And so in order for me to be of service, I have to make sure I am well-equipped, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We're already seeing, you know, currently in politics, when you don't have much in your bag, what you look like, right? Mm -hmm. when, yeah, when, right? Okay, we know what's going on. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying that to say, like, you know, it's important that you are informed and that you that yeah. you have multiple things to pull from. That it's not just something, you know, this one particular thing. You can find yourself when you do that. You know, I'm sitting here talking to two incredible Black women that are pioneers and entrepreneurs. You oh, guys dance as well. Like, come on. It's, you got to have multiple things in your bag. Yeah. So you talked about all the different roles that you have as an artist, you know, not just in dance and not um, just in one lane. So of all those roles that you and all those talents that you have, what do you enjoy the most? What role do you enjoy taking on the most and why? I think, to be honest, nothing has been more gratifying than teaching. Mm. I am so grateful that I have been blessed with an opportunity to have a platform where people can come in and they can see what it is that I do, but it doesn't mean anything if I'm not giving back, if I'm not teaching the next generation, if I'm not helping the younger generation. That has been something that 
the role that I personally enjoy the most. I love being in a dance studio and teaching a class. And then after that, we're having a discussion and we're talking about the different facets of dance and the culture and what it means to be a Black artist, you know, in this industry and, and what that looks like for, you know, these young artists and being honest with them and being upfront with them, but also at the same time, encouraging them and telling them that, no, it is possible. You can do what you need to do. I mean, I grew up in a culture where I had a teacher, her name was Miss Wilhelmina Taylor, and she taught me African. And she told me, as you climb the ladder of success, you have to reach back and pull someone with you. Mm. And so that's been always in the forefront of what it is that I do. That, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I do what I do and I dance and I give and, you know, I share and I do all of these things. But at the same time, it's important that I'm talking to the next generation of dancers and of people, you know, younger people. We're seeing it right now, you know, we call it like Gen, Gen, Gen X or something. I can't keep up. No, we're, we're Gen X, Gen Z, or that's before us. Gen Z is now. Yeah. Gen Z is now. Okay, there we yeah. go. Right. Gen Z. <laughs> you, we're seeing these young folks right mm -hmm. and they are in a very like open wide state and they want change and yeah. so like they're in the streets they're protesting they're 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 screaming for change and so i feel as though we all have our different lanes of, of how we're about the movement right there's different lanes to the movement you know protest you know there's this organizing there's sharing right different levels and so mm -hmm now me being in this place it is my duty I feel to inform the younger generation about what's going on and help them organize and help them create change and so I'm like do you guys know who your councilmen and councilwomen are do you know who your assembly member members are do you know how you can get in contact with them do you know their numbers are you registered to vote and these are the things that mean more to me, that matter more to me, because that is the big goal. That is the progression, you know, of us, not just me, you know, it's, it, it doesn't mean anything if you're not giving back or if you're not helping someone else get their foot in the door, because I'm here because somebody decided that they wasn't going to jump overboard yeah yeah and they so, uh-huh go ahead i was gonna say finish your thought and i had another question <laughs> i was gonna say you know someone jumped overboard for me and so they've endured so much trauma and so much and each generation has begun to knock down doors it is my duty that i continue to do that so that is better for the next person behind me Hmm. I was going to say, it sounds like you know what your purpose is and you're walking in that and you continue to do that. So with this in mind, what does success mean to you? You know, success, I think, is very like relative and just like subjective, honestly, because. But for you, what does that mean? I, I mean, because to me, like success is my happiness, my joy. Hmm my sanity, my peace, my health, my, you know, my mental well-being. These, to me, that's successful. 
mm-hmm. you know, despite the, you know, the current climate we're living in and how freaking crazy it is right now that I could still find moments of joy. I could still find things that make me happy. Even something like this, having a conversation and, and just talking and sharing my story and just sharing how I feel. That's gratifying. That's success to me because I know that this will reach many people. And I hope that when they hear this, they go, wow, I can do that too. Or I can connect to that. I'm no different from him. Mm-hmm. And so like, to me, like I wouldn't define my success on the amount of money I have in my account or you know, the amount of assets in my riches. Do you have people that really care about you? Do you have people that call on you and say, hey, have you eaten today? Do you have mm-hmm. people that ask you, how are you feeling and genuinely mean it? Do you have people that love you unconditionally for you being your authentic self? Have you surrounded yourself in an environment and in a circle where people are only cultivating you know, your greatness? They want to see you be incredible. That's success to me. Not the, well, I pulled up and my new Bugatti. I mean, it's nice to have, but <laughs> I just, I think I want bigger riches. Hmm. Those things are definitely important. And I'm sure as you, not that you're old, but as you know, as you age, you kind of appreciate different things, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, What I'm learning now and something that has really resonated with me is that things just take time. In my artistry, it just takes time. Healing, it takes time. You know, getting into a level of place where, you know, you are giving and you're not expecting anything in return, that takes time. And you have to be unconditionally invested in doing the work. And doing the work is is checking in on yourself, making sure you're taken care of, you know, making sure you're navigating, you know, at a high vibration. You know, that saying, you know, Michelle, when they go low, we go high. Are you vibrating high? These are things you should be thinking about. These are things that go on in my head. Right. Well, with that in mind, what is now your vision for yourself in the future? Where do you go from here? Yeesh. I have <laughs> no clue. <laughs> like, I really I know wish this is I a question. <laughs> like, I really wish I really knew. Like, I mean, I remember when I was 25 and I told myself, you know, by 30, you know, you should be having this, 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 and this. And here I am at 30 and I don't have any of those things, but I have other things. And those things matter more to me. And so I think if I could project what it is that I want in my years or my years to come is more love, more light, more healing. And so I don't know what capacity I am going to be of service, but I know that I will be of service. So I think that's what the future entails for me to continuously doing the work of of giving because there's a lot of work that needs to be done out here. And if we're going to heal and move forward, you know, we gotta get our hands dirty and we gotta have these discussions and we gotta 
talk about things that matter. <laughs> and so I think that's where I'll be. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's very important. And you said that you know you had you had certain goals when you were twenty five. So if you could go back to your younger self now, what advice would you give to yourself? If I could talk to my younger self, I would tell him to continue to stay on the course. I know there's going to be all those bumps and bruises, but use that as sandpaper to polish you. Stay vigilant in creating change and continuously to speak on things that matter to you and you and not be afraid of that. I would tell my younger self, things are going to hurt. <laughs> Life is meant to be felt. But you get back up and every day you wake up and you breathe air. It is another opportunity to create change. So seize the moment. Wonderful. That's great advice. I think we all need to tell ourselves that and remind ourselves of that <laughs> as we keep going forward. So we have a little surprise question for you. We do this with our... <laughs> we, we do this with all of our guests. We don't want you to prepare for this one. This is going Uh-oh. back to food. You know that the podcast is called Yams and Yuka. And so yes. we need to know which do you prefer? Yams or Yuka? Wow, I can't even believe y'all just did this to me. <laughs> Okay, so wait, are we considering how it's prepared? Like, what if I said, oh, I yeah, and yeah, candy yams, yeah, we're considering all of that. I You're gonna it. tell us how you want them cooked, too. Mm. Yeah, because that's very important. Because, you know, personally, I, I, I don't mind both, but it's all about the preparation. Okay, so what's the best, what's the best yuca? Give us that. Hmm, I personally want it. Okay, let let me, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of, you know, I don't mind it fried. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind her fried. Now, I, 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 when it's a little like soggy and a little like, you know, I'm a little like, yum, I'd rather no, have right. a candy yam. Right. You know, with a little sugar, you know how your mama used to make them? Mm-hmm. Cinnamon, sugar, there brown you go. sugar come syrup. on, come on, you know. Yes, very diabetes like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's where I'm at with it. Soul food. <laughs> Give me the mac and cheese, collard greens. Right, with the jam. Yams, with the stuffing, all of that. All of that. <laughs> and I want. No, go ahead. You just described your perfect meal. We don't even have to ask you that. (laughs) Because you know I love to eat, though. You know I love to eat, Heather. I love food. And I love all kinds of food. I love a dessert. Woo! Woo! Oh, I know. I know that's essential when you're traveling. So what happens when you're traveling? And you, Well, I already know what happens. But tell the listeners what happens when you're traveling and you can't get to your food that you want. Usually, you know, I call a homie. And get a recommendation, but I definitely go re. I go searching. I'm going on a, a a whole like goose hunt chase, looking for my desserts and looking for my treats. Heather has been there. We have gone on plenty of scavenger hunts, looking for the right dessert, 
the right tree <laughs> all up and through London. Like, uh-uh, this ain't it. No, this wasn't, mm-hmm. it. <laughs> this wasn't, it was okay, but mm-mm. So, I mean, I'm very particular about, you know, my treats and my food. You know, if you really care about me, I say, bring me books and bring me food. (laughs) Well, we'll definitely keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind for the next time you come to London, for sure. Yes. Yes. I'm sure I can introduce you to a few hotspots, food-wise. Jeez. On that note, I just want to thank you, Jerobom, for sharing your journey and insight into building a career as an international artist. It was beautiful and wonderful to hear, and we are so looking forward to sharing this with our listeners. Definitely. And before you go, can you just let our listeners know where they can learn more about you and your work? You can follow me on all of my social handles. Uh, at Jeroa Bombozman. I'm on Facebook and also on Instagram. And if your spirit is, you know, you're in a given spirit, you're feeling generous. I take love donations. You know, you can, you can catch, you can catch my, my cash at Jeroa Bombozman. And you can catch it. You can catch my Venmo and Cash App at Jeroa Bomb Bozeman. That's J-E-R-O-B-O-A-M-B-O-Z-E-M-A-N. And yeah, you can follow me on social media. I think I'm one of those people that are very vocal on there. But you can just catch me probably dancing on somebody's stage or, you know, doing something, giving back probably maybe modeling somewhere who knows (laughs) (laughs) well we cannot wait until you get the chance to come back over here to this side of the pond we can get together to dim the table in real life and have another one of these great conversations um so thank you so much Jeroboam for for sharing everything with us uh we're gonna take a quick break and just digest all of that goodness and when we come back we'll take some time to indulge in our sweet and savory moments Thank you all. We'll be right back. And we are back. It's time for our sweet and savory desserts. We're going to recap those moments in the conversation with Jeroboam that gave us a nice sweet sugar rush (laughs) or the others that are a bit richer, the ones that stick to the stomach or a little bit more Feeling those are our savory moments. So for me, my sweet moment was him not putting his stuff in his locker when he was at Ailey 2. When his colleagues were asking him, like, why aren't you putting your stuff there? He's like, because I'm not staying. And I right. I definitely know that feeling. Like when I went to Florida State, I had that feeling. I was like, I'm doing this in four years and I'm out. And I just really wanted, you know, I get that sentiment of like going in for your purpose not getting stuck or complacent mm-hmm. and then moving on to the next challenge. Yeah, it was good um, because it just showed his, I guess, conviction. Yeah. What about you, Kamara? What was your sweet moment? 
My sweet moment was definitely when he talked about his audition for junior high school where he went in and did the getting jiggy with that dance. (laughs) So for those of us of the age who are familiar with the Will Smith video and doing that dance in the clubs, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not exactly probably what you would expect to do at an audition. No. But you can imagine someone who's just excited to dance and who loves who loves it to just do that yeah I can just imagine seeing if I saw a student like that I'd think yeah this this kid has got something you know yeah have you ever I know you run like a lot of auditions for the different cruises and shows and stuff like that have you ever seen someone come in and just kind of go left field I mean there's been a couple of times maybe with the youth dance company where there's just someone who wants to dance and and they've never done any kind of let's just say formal training for want of a better word yeah yeah and they, they just they just want to enjoy themselves and you think this person you don't you don't you want to you want to harness that joy you want to harness that mm. enthusiasm because it gets kind of it gets kind of lost along the way sometimes especially when you're training a lot and yeah. it's, that, it's that enthusiasm that that joy that real that real spirit energy that that's you, like the um- Sorry, that's like that girl. You remember for AYD 100? Yeah. Who was the young girl who was the motivational speaker at like oh, 10? Oh, yes. Yeah. Angel. Angel. Yes. Angel. Yeah. <laughs> and her sister. Remember, she had a younger sister as well. Oh, yeah. They were, just, yeah. they were just going for it. It was like, it was just amazing. Like Yeah, they outdanced people who had been like in our exactly. company in, in artistry for years. <laughs> they came in there and turned it out. Exactly. And I think that's what people forget. People sometimes think, oh my gosh, if I don't, especially some of the young people, you know, we work with, they get, they might not even go to an audition because they think, right. oh, I've not, I've not had training in, in, in ballet or jazz or whatever the styles are that they're asking me for. So I, I better not go. But you know what they don't realize, especially if you are auditioning to train, we know that you don't have all of the skills yet that's why right that's why you're there <laughs> that's why you're there yeah you see that you've got that energy that passion so I think that's a really important thing for people to remember especially at, at that age obviously not when you're going for a professional job after training mm-hmm. that may not work so much but when you're young you bring what you have you bring what you have Absolutely. And hopefully, and if you're at the right place, if you have the right teachers, they will recognize that and they will encourage you. They'll pour into you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And if they don't recognize that, then that's probably not, it's not the place. That's not the place to be in. It's their law. Exactly. So what about your savory moment? What was that for you? My savory moment was uh, when he spoke about what's happening now uh, with the protests and uh, Black Lives Matter movement, and he said that we all have our different lanes of the movement. So for Mm. some people, it's protesting. For some people, it's sharing information. Because I think there's sometimes, especially with social media, there's kind of the pressure to be doing everything or changing the world somehow with your own actions and it's important to remember that we all have first of all we're all processing this in different ways absolutely some some people like some days I'm energized to to speak out and other days I am I have I do not have the capacity to speak anymore about race or racism or what is happening in in the 
in the public and that definitely doesn't mean that I, I don't care it just means I'm doing other things to take care of myself at that moment and even that is contributing because I'm making sure that I'm I'm I am what's the word I am fit I guess I am yeah I, I have the capability yeah that I'm I'm yeah. rejuvenated and refreshed enough that I have the capability to actually contribute when I'm ready so and and not that you have the capability that you have, like you've had time to process, mm-hmm. you've had time to filter out whatever emotion that you don't want part of your message or part of what initiative you're trying to put forth. Cause that can happen in, in times is like, you know, that immediate reaction to things that kind of clouds. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good. It gives you that energy and the vigor, but if you don't have time to properly process that, make sure you have the energy and the inspiration to do to take action or to lead on something mm-hmm. then it, it kind of it kind of not destroys it doesn't destroy what you're doing but it just doesn't you're not at your best absolutely absolutely and you know they um we always hear the sayings about you know if your cup isn't full then you can't give can't pour or into anyone else yeah, yeah exactly or if your cup is not running over actually you can't give to anyone else and, and that's very much yeah something that uh, I know I forget but it is important for people to remember that we all have different ways of contributing to the movement so yeah so that was my yeah. savory moment uh what was yours for me is when he mentioned one of his mentors telling him that with each level of success that he has to reach back and give something to the the next generation the ones that are coming behind him mm-hmm. and you know, he had, again, we, he had that message of giving back throughout. That's the theme of today's episode. And I just thought that was really powerful. And I know that's something I strive to, to do. And I find myself disappointed when I do see people who level up and forget about where they come from or, or not even where they come from. They forget about the ones that have to come behind them. And the reason why you, you paved the way, the reason why you take you know, you break the glass ceilings is so that other people can be just as successful, if not more. Absolutely. So that was just a really, really good reminder to, you know, even as we dig our heads in and we try to figure out, okay, what's the next step for us to constantly also think about, okay, how do I also make this a pathway for, for younger people or not even younger people, just other people yes, who are doing the same thing? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's so important. It's so important. And it's clear that that was woven into everything that he does. So, yeah. So, yeah, but it is a good, good reminder because some days our minds just be, might be elsewhere. So, yeah, really important. So I would, I would agree with that sentiment that you brought up there. Well, that's it for today. We'd like to thank you for listening. Please let us know what your sweet and savory moments were using the hashtag Yams and Yuka. That's right. Don't forget to tag us at Yams and Yuka on Twitter and Yams and Yuka Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Also, you can email us at Yams and Yuka Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is Yams and Yuka Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Yes, we want to hear your thoughts on today's conversation. So let's keep the conversation going. Feel free to share your stories as well to add them to our games and you can tap straight. We will chat with you guys next time. Bye. Yeah, bye.